As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 15. We were here last week. We're going to come back here this week. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you in the pew right there. Also, the words will be on the screen as well. So last week, we were looking at Jesus and uh, finding out that this Jesus is one who came to seek and to save the lost. And of all the things we know about Jesus, we love this reality of what Scripture teaches us of God's Son. That God's Son had a mission, and a mission was an incredible mission, one that actually before time began, that He and the Father agreed to, that He would come and He would rescue His own. He would come and He would rescue lost sheep at an amazing cost to Himself. That the Son of Man would come and to seek and to save the lost. So this morning we're going to look at a very familiar story in the Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 15 is probably one of the most familiar stories of the Bible. Uh, if you're not familiar with Luke 15, it also contains the parable of the lost son or the lost sons that we're going to look at in just a moment. But if there was anything that kind of sheds light on the fact of Jesus' mission to seek and to save the lost, it's right here in Luke 15. Because it's in Luke 15 we're going to hear Jesus' own words of things that were of value that were lost. Things that were of value that were lost, that there was an extensive search for, and once the valuable thing that was lost, whether it was one sheep in a hundred, whether it was one coin in ten, or one son in two, or maybe even two lost sons, there was a great search, and at the end of that, there was a great party because it was found. Well, each story clearly that Jesus tells there is closely connected. And it's really interesting of who is listening to the story. Probably the setting of the story is as important almost as anything else in the story. If we could see who is there listening to Jesus, because really he's telling this story to those who were listening. And it's interesting because uh, Luke 15 will say it's the most crazy group of people that Jesus is hanging around right now. I mean, it really is like the Gators and the Seminoles, the Republicans and the Democrats, you know, uh, those from the North, those from the South, whatever dividing line that you could think of, Republicans, Democrats, here they were sitting together. Who were they? Well, you have the Pharisees and the scribes, very religious people, uh, people who, who would give a tithe, people that would always be in temple at all the right times, people who would say the longest prayers, People that everybody else in society know, those folks are really religious people. They're Pharisees and scribes. They're not just your everyday weekend worship warrior. I mean, these are the ones that are all in at all expense. But not only were they there, they were also tax collectors and sinners. As if you can't put them all together as sinners, they were the really the lower rung, the, uh, the lower rung, the, the bottom of the barrel, if you will. You got the tax collectors, those are traitors. I mean, they're making money on the people's back, giving it to the Romans. I mean, oh, the tax collectors. But they're not only that, they're tax collectors, they're sinners. And you see that, that in this picture, you have the religious people grumbling. And they're ticked. They're grumbling because this Jesus, this rabbi, he's hanging out with sinners. What kind of rabbi hangs out with sinners? What kind of rabbi associates himself with tax collectors? And, and those that in the society want to cast away. It says not only does he associate with them, 
He has the audacity to eat with them. He goes into their homes. He hangs out at their parties. He's known as a glutton and a drunk because of who he hangs out with. And the religious folks had a, really a problem with that. Why in the world would this religious man, Jesus, why in the world would he associate with sinners? Well, remember, Scripture says, well, he came to seek and to save sinners. Hello? If you're going to come seek and save sinners, shouldn't they be the ones you hang out with? Shouldn't they be the ones you associate with? And aren't you glad he does? Because isn't that all of us? Hello? Well, he tells the story, he tells the story of, of the parable, three parables. One of a lost sheep, one of a hundred, man, who wouldn't leave the 99 to go after the one? And when he finds it, puts him on his shoulders and says, come, let's party. Are the lost ones found? Who doesn't, who, what, there's like this woman who had 10 coins, lost one, but man, she wasn't satisfied with nine out of 10. She turns her house upside down. She finds it. She calls her friends and neighbors. Hey, come celebrate and party with me. And look what I've found. And then he tells this story, a familiar story to many of us, this prodigal son or son story. And a lot of similarities. Something's lost. Something, there's an extensive search. Something is going to be found. But something's different about this story. The story doesn't end with everybody partying. Some people are partying. The young son is partying. The dad is partying. But there is an older brother in the story. He's not partying. Uh, he's, as a matter of fact, he's kind of ticked. He's angry with his dad. I mean, how can a dad show that much love to a rebellious son? Who does that? Especially when he was at home and doing all the right things. So the older son, man, he, he wanted nothing to do with the party. And as a matter of fact, the last story that he tells is a little different than the first two. The first two, there's, there's resolution. Something lost, search party, found, party afterwards. This one, something lost, search party, found, mm, you're not sure that there's everybody in the party, but there's reason to rejoice. This story ends on a different note. The older, that obedient, dutiful son, he doesn't celebrate. Everybody is not partying like the other two. If there's anybody in the loss in this story, this is interesting. Most people say, well, clearly there was a son, a younger son. What, what an what a incredible spendthrift he was. Clearly he was lost. I mean, that guy was crazy. But you know who the lost one in the story really is? The older brother. It's the older one. It's the moral one. It's the religious one. It's the one who refuses to go and celebrate with his father. So who do you think Jesus is telling this story to? Here he has sinners, tax collectors. Well, they're clearly the younger brother. And then he has clearly those uh, religious people. Clearly they're the older brother. And so this great story is going to hit them both right between the eyes. I mean, this is really for uh, each of them to tell the story. You know, most of us have missed this story. Uh, most of us have always focused on the younger son, uh, that he gets most of the attention. Matter of fact, it's called the prodigal son. Uh, again, that's not in Scripture. That's what we have called it, the prodigal son. There's a couple of books that I have read that have really transformed this story. Uh, and also, listen to some of Tim Keller's sermons. He wrote a book called The Prodigal God. Sounds weird, doesn't it, prodigal? I'm going to explain what the word prodigal really means. So I read this. Matter of fact, some of us have done a study through this. Then there's Henri Nouwen. Henri Nouwen wrote uh, The Return of the Prodigal. He went and spent days in St. Petersburg, Russia, sitting and looking at the painting that Rembrandt did, looking at Scripture and writing an amazing book. 
These two books are in the back. Uh, I get nothing from them, uh, but if you would like to have them, uh, you can pick them up on the way out. Uh, it'll give you even more insight into the story. But like all brothers, there's a story of two sons, and these two sons have much in common. If you uh, have the DNA of a brother, you may not like it sometimes, you may love it, but in reality, you have things in common. Uh, there's characteristics also that make them very unique. Yet in the end, there's only one who kisses the Father. There's only one who dances with the Father. There's only one who comes to his senses. And there's only one who's partying. And it's one you wouldn't necessarily believe. So here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the portrait. How, how, how do you look at this familiar thing? So here's what I want to do. I want to look at... Uh, the story, we're going to read God's word, and then I want to look at portraits. Like, let's look at the portrait of a prodigal father. Let's look at the portrait of the father. And then let's, let's look at the portrait uh, of a found son. Let's look at the portrait of a found son. Who, that, that young brother, what's he like? And let's look at a portrait of a uh, rebellious son, really an estranged son, a son who is still distant from his pro uh, father. And then let's land the plane by looking at the only begotten son. Uh, so let's take our words out of the God's word. Let's look to Luke 15. Again, last week we were in 1 through 10. Uh, this morning we're going to pick up 11 and we're going to read through the rest of the story. Let's be mindful. No matter where we find ourselves in God's word, this is God's word. Um, it is holy. It, it, is, it is right. It'll never lead us astray. It's without error. Uh, we need to submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. So church, hear God's word. Luke 15, verse 11. And he, Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. Now remember who he's talking to. Sinners, tax collectors, Pharisees, scribes, right? So he tells them the story. There's a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of your property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his profit, uh, property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants, your hired servants. Then he rose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us celebrate, eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to party, to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. 
And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've slaved for you. I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's like a cliffhanger. What happens? Do you like the movie when they don't tell you the ending? What happens? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Jesus, in the greatest storyteller ever, he leaves the story hanging because he wants those religious folks to make the decision themselves. What are you going to do? Are you going to go celebrate with the Father? You're just going to just say these laws shouldn't be found. The first thing we can see this. Let's look at the first portrait. The portrait of a prodigal father or the portrait of a prodigal God. Now, many of you were like me. You probably hear the word prodigal. You just think of somebody who went away and spent all he had, that prodigal son. Clearly, he was a prodigal. But if you look at the word prodigal, don't do it now. Take my word. Look at it later. Prodigal means this. Recklessly extravagant profusely generous. Now let me say that again. Prodigal means recklessly extravagant, profusely generous. That's the Father. That's our God. God. Who recklessly loves a wayward son. While he was still a long way off, we hear about this Father. His Father saw him. His Father felt compassion for him. His Father ran and embraced him. He kissed him. And he said, let's kill the fattened calf, let's eat and celebrate. Who wouldn't want that dad, right? I mean, who wouldn't want that dad? I mean, what did that son already do? He's, he's been a mess. He's been a hot mess. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. This is the son who he, he says he gives away his estate to the one who wished his father was dead. Do you know how scandalous it was for the son to go to his dad and say, Dad, I'm ready for my inheritance? Although you're alive right now, I wish you were dead because I really want your stuff, Dad. I don't want you. So I want your stuff. I don't want you. So I wish you were dead so I could get your stuff and then I could have your stuff and go on my own merry way. And somehow that this rebellious son says to his dad, Dad, I wish you had your stuff. He divides the estate. Who does that? I mean, who, who, would, who would ever divide his estate to a rebellious son like that? Who, who would treat a rebellious son that way? He sees and feels compassion for the one who squandered his property. Squandered it. Just burn a hole in his pocket. And yet, what does he lead with? Compassion. Not lecture. Not like I told you so. Not like you're going to earn this back. He sees and he feels compassion. He runs to the one who embarrassed the family name. Don't forget he embarrassed the family name. I mean, he started to embarrass the family name. As soon as he said, I want my, your stuff, I don't want you... But then he's going to go off, and he, oh, you should hear the rumors and the stories. Do you hear what that boy's doing? Do you, you, know, you know what he's spending his money on? 
You, you know what's going on with that boy? He runs to the one who's embarrassed the family name. And let me ask the question. Have you really ever seen your father run? That's a question I wanted to ask the king's kids. I mean, who's actually seen their father run? I'm not talking about like a marathon or half marathon or around the block. I mean, run. Especially in those days. If you were a dignified man and you're wearing your robe, you don't want to hike up your robe, show your legs, and go take it off somewhere. Very undignified behavior for the father. And yet he runs. He runs after the son. He would gird up his robe. He embraces the one who smells like a pigsty. Embraces him. Uh, you know, by the way, uh, smelly pigsty, double whammy for a Jew at that time. Why? Because pigs are, are considered uh, unclean animals. Not only are you not supposed to eat them, you're not supposed to even touch them. So this is, this is Jesus' way to say this is the bottom rung. I mean, he hit rock bottom when he had nothing left, when he was feeding pigs in a pigsty, the rock bottom. He smelled like that reality, and yet he came and he hugged him. You know, they wouldn't touch a pig and they missed out on bacon. Did they miss out on something big or what? He kisses the one who no longer felt worthy to be a son. The one who no longer, who realized the mess he was, and yet that's the one he kisses. He throws a party for the one who sins so greatly. The father didn't give a lecture. How would you do it, Dad? The father didn't tell you, I told you so. You have to earn your way back. You have to earn your stripes. I told you this would happen. No, instead of giving him a lecture, telling him all the things that he did wrong, he throws a party. And not just a small party, but a block party where everyone is invited. Everyone that he embarrassed, all the people who knew the scandal, he says, don't just kill a young goat that feeds the family. Kill the fattened calf so the community can be fed that everybody can celebrate. What a father. Not a very dignified father, is he? Oh, to have a father like that. Oh, to become a father like that. That's our heavenly father. He runs to sinners. Do you know him? But not that's that, the father's radical love. He's, he's profusely generous. And when the son is trying to apologize, when he's trying to say, Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be a son. Just treat me like a slave. Treat me like a servant. What does the father say? Are you kidding me? But the father said to his real slaves, quickly bring out the best robe. Not just any robe, the best robe. And put it on him. His robe. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. And they began to celebrate. I mean, what an incredible story. What does it mean, come and bring out the best robe? What does it mean, come and put on the sandals? What does it mean to come and give him the ring? You know what this is? These are all signs of sonship. These are all signs that this one is mine. There's no way that I'm going to treat him like a slave. There's no way that I'm not going to not identify with this one. This one's getting the best robe. This one's getting the family signet. This one's getting the good sandals. This is my son and whom I love. This is not a slave. This is a son. What an amazing transformation of one who felt like a slave, but the father would have none of it, but treated like a son. 
What does he say? He says, I want to change those clothes. They smell like pigs, son. Let's change your clothes, because why? I want to change your identity. I want to change your memories. I want you to make sure that you know that you are mine. Church, it's not just a story that we read and think, isn't that nice? Church, this is our story. If we've been rescued by Jesus Christ, if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, if we've been saved because of the lavish love of the Father and the work of the Son, he's robed us. He's changed our clothes. I mean, he would put our sin and depravity on his son on the cross so that we could wear his righteousness. 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, Isaiah the prophet wrote this in Isaiah 61.10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and a bride adorns herself with jewels. Christian, if you are one of the fathers that Jesus came to rescue, he's robed you with the finest robe. He's robed you in the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't want you to have that pigsty smell. He wants you to have the aroma of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, not just the righteousness of God. He wants to make sure that you have all the identity of the Son. Zechariah 3, 3 says it this way. Now Joshua, who was a high priest, was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing by him, remove the filthy garments from him. Take away the sin. Again, he said, see, I will take away your iniquity and you will be clothed with festal robes. You're a Christian? Have you come to Christ? You know what you're wearing. You know you got the festal robes of Christ's righteousness. You know what's happened. There's been a change of identity. You went from a slave to a son. You went from one who was lost to was found. You've been drawn in. Why? Because of a love a father would have for sinners like us. What a father. That's our heavenly father. What should our response be? to a compassionate, running, embracing, kissing, dancing, party-throwing father. What should our response be? We should be stoic, reverent. Nice story, Jeff. In the Bible, it's good. I'm telling you what, you hear the story and your feet don't start moving, I'm not sure you know them. I'm not sure you understand the depth of love for sinners like us. If you don't understand that he wore your rags so that we could wear his righteousness on the cross, are you kidding me? For a father who doesn't lead with judgment, but he leads with grace and mercy, for a father who would love us enough to send us his very best, how should we respond? Church, stoically? Nice story. But be, be transformed by the love of God. When King David had the Ark of the Covenant being brought back into Jerusalem, and it was God's presence and God's name was there. Couldn't, he couldn't contain him. He's a king! And what did he do? He, man, he kind of stripped down to where he could dance, and he's dancing with all of his might before God's presence. Why? Because he couldn't go over the love that God had for him. He made himself a fool. Matter of fact, he had a, a wife that was connected to the old king saying, look, look, look at David, what a moron. What a buffoon. What king acts like that? He says, oh, you think I'm undignified now? 
You, you, you kidding me? God's presence comes to town. God's love, God's name. I'm going to be undone. I hope and pray, church, that you can dance before a father and dance with a father who would love you enough to send a rescuer, his own son. He says, let's go quickly celebrate. Bring the fattened calf. We're having a cookout. We're going to eat. We're going to drink. We're going to celebrate. Turn on the tunes because we're dancing. How many of you have seen your father dance? <laughs> I mean, it's got to be a sight. They're like, oh, seriously? Uh, there's one song um, James Taylor sings. It's called Copper Line. And it talks about his dad coming back from the war in France and he could see him dance. And, you know, just dance like a man within a trance. Not many of us get to see our dads dance very often. You know, it's kind of embarrassing, you know. But here's the reality of a dad who dances over lost sinners like us. A father who cares that much. Wow. What a father. Christian, this is your heavenly father. What should our response be? Let's just give him our love and everything we have. But not only that, he not only uh, lavishes our love, he earnestly pleads with an estranged son. The father didn't just go out to the young son. Don't forget this. He went out to the older son, too. Remember, the older son wouldn't come into the party. So the father, again, leaves home. He goes out to the older son, and it says he pleads with him. Son, join the party. Your brother was lost. He's found. He was dead. He's alive. Son, get in here. Let's party. I know that you are always with me. And everything he says, everything that's mine is yours. Remember, the father has already given to the young son all that he was going to get. And everything else the older son owns. By the way, that fattened calf he owns. Essentially, all of that partying was going to be at the expense of the older son. But come and join the party. He said, no. You know what? What a father that goes out and pleads. He pleads with the sinners, the tax collectors, but he also pleads with the Pharisees and the scribes. Come home. So he got the portrait of a found son. That was the father. Portrait of a found son. He he. He, in the beginning, wanted his father's stuff, but he didn't want his father. But he comes to his senses, thank the Lord. He realizes, man, his belly is empty, his life is empty. Everything he thought would find life, the hedonism that he lived out, I'm just going to go and eat and drink and be merry. And when his pockets were empty and his belly was empty, he's like, oh, I'm an idiot. I mean, I'm dying out here, and my father's servants are eating much more. So he realizes that he's messed up. He comes home. He confesses his sins. He returns to the father, and he no longer feels worthy to be called a son. He says, don't, don't treat me like a son. I've blown that. Just treat me like a slave. I mean, if I could just be treated like a slave in your household, I'm, go I'm good. But his father would have nothing of it. One who was so far away from his father but has come home. What an amazing portrait. If you come home to the father, no matter where you've been, if you come home and realize the invitation, the love, the grace, and the mercy of the gospel. Well, you also have the portrait of an estranged son. This is the older brother. These are the religious ones. Again, in a different way, he wanted his father's stuff too, but in a different way, he didn't want the father either. He speaks harshly to the father. You know that he never calls him father in the story? You know how he addresses his father? Look! He just, he, he uses this tone. Look! I've been slaving for you. 
look, I mean, how, how harsh. He, he won't address his father as father. Never calls him that. He doesn't associate with his brother. Heck no. This son of yours, this prostitute hiring, squandering your wealth, this son of yours, I'm not going to identify with him. Are you kidding me? This son of yours. He has all the blessings of a son, and yet he acts like a slave. Isn't that interesting? He says, these many years, I've been slaving for you. I've been slaving for you. Huh. He refuses to join the feast of the father. He wanted to have a party with his own friends. He never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with you. No, celebrate with my friends. Not you, father. He too was an embarrassment, just like the younger son. He wouldn't come to the party. And isn't it interesting? Church, he was so close to his father, but he refused to enter into his home. This is the religious people who think, you know what, I got baptized. You know what, I, I got confirmed. You know, you know I, I took some communion. I mean, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I'm close to the father. Certainly he owes me, right? Uh, I mean, are you really in because of God's grace and the forgiveness of sins and embracing Jesus as Savior? It's scary. The religious people think they're in. It's scary, church. The people sit in pews and, they, and, they'll, and they'll walk aisles that think, hey, I'm in. I got baptized. I'm in. I joined that church. Are you in? Are you like the older brother, think that some kind of religion is going to make you free? Are you really refusing to go in to the party the Father offers in Christ? To repent, to embrace the Father and the Son. Well, you have ultimately Jesus there, and he's the portrait of the only begotten Son. He's the one who loved his Father fully, fully obeyed his Father. Here's Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. There's no one who ever will see the Father apart from Christ Jesus. This is Jesus, the eternal God who put on flesh. And you know the book of Hebrews says this, he's not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not like the older brother. He'll call you and me brothers. He knows we're knuckleheads. And he calls us brothers, sisters, family. What an amazing Savior. And not only Jesus does he throw a party, but he shares all the blessings of the Father with us. Listen, everything that Jesus earned as the only obedient son, everything that Jesus deserves as the only begotten son, he shares with us. He gives it to us. Joint heirs with Christ Jesus. There's nothing he holds back. The finest of the robes, the best of the rings, the most incredible sandals, the place and the family. Oh, what a savior. This passage shows us so much about God and so much about ourselves. It shows us a heart of a father who would send his son into harm's way to seek and to save the lost. It shows us the heart of the son who will befriend sinners and ultimately lay his life down for them. The story begins with a heartwarming story of Jesus. He is a friend of sinners, and you know he eats with them. That's a heartwarming story. But the heart-changing story is when you realize that he died for sinners. He didn't just eat with them. He didn't just fellowship with them. He isn't just a friend of sinners. He became our sin. He died for sinners so that we can know and love the Father and find our way home. 
And life's changed with that kind of love. This Lord's Supper reminds us of our true big brother, Jesus, our Savior, that he came to seek and to save the lost. This table points to the reality of how great a cost it was to himself. This table reminds us that Jesus has provided a way home. It's a meal just for his family. He says, don't do this in an unworthy manner. If you think you're in because you're a Pharisee, because you're religious, because you're moral, that's not it. Are you a part of the family? Have you embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior? Jesus is the one who was the fattened calf that was sacrificed so that we could eat and celebrate. It reminds us not only of a debt that was paid that we owe, but a meal that comes, that one day we'll see him, and what a celebration it will be. We could dance with the Father, celebrate with his son, and know that we are home. How is it with you? Where did you see yourself in the story? What's your portrait of the story? I've laid out the other ones. Are you like the older brother? Do you, you think God owes you something? you think your morality is going to get you in? Are you like the younger brother? Are you someone who's prone to wander and, and wrestling and squandering stuff? Have you, have you had the joy of the Father through the work of the Son embrace you and cleanse you and robe you with his righteousness? Are you far off or are you in the party celebrating? Now, church, may we celebrate the love of the Father, the work of the Son, and the power of the Spirit today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you for this amazing story that reveals the heart of your son who came to seek and to save the lost. And the lost included rebellious sons like the younger son. And the lost included the older son, the religious, snobby, think that they're in because of what they do and missing the father's love and grace and mercy and the work of his son. Oh God, I pray for this church. God, I pray for us to embrace the love and the grace the Father has given to us in Christ Jesus. That God, we would come and join the party. Oh God, I pray that if there's anyone here that is still robed in their sinfulness and hasn't experienced the transformation of putting on the finest of robes, the righteousness of Christ, that today would be the day when they would confess their need, their need to be treated like a slave and receive the joy of being treated like a son. Jesus, we thank you that you are the true and ultimate big brother, the older brother who would come to save us at the cost of your very life, so that we could be robed in your righteousness, so that you could call us your own, so you could bring us to the Father, so we could join the party. God, we can't respond to that stoically. That's life change. Change us, change the world through the gospel, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.